Silas and Timothy unto the church for the, of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, uh, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Now, here's what we're going to be looking at here today. First of all, verse number one, he's greeting them, welcomes them. I love, and we pointed out this a couple of times, the fact that he addresses that he's coming on the name of, he's praising the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the title. Ultimately, everything about Paul's life, everything about our life, everything about the life of the church should be about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his church. Paul is his minister, his preacher. Uh, it's his people, the whole thing. And so we have to understand that um, we often say and we hear buzzwords and things about being Christ-centered, Christ-focused, all this stuff, but it's absolutely true. Every ounce of us, every ounce of our being, from the outward to the end and the end of the out, even more so, we need to be consumed by Christ, um, that everything must be by Him, through Him, to Him, and for Him. And as we go into verse 2, He gives thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in prayers. He reminds them, I'm praying for you. Pray for one another. Continue in prayer. He reminds them of the power of prayer. We have to understand this. We often equate Paul with just this great pastoral heart, this um, letter writer, this prisoner for the Lord. But he was not just a preacher and a pastor, but he was someone who prayed. He was someone who knew what it meant to praise the Lord, even in the midst of, of a jail cell. He knew what it meant to continue in prayer. Paul's not just saying this just to go, and puff them up and say, hey, I'm praying for you, and then never to pray for them. And neither should we. Right? We talked about that last week. When we say we're going to pray for someone, pray for them. And, and if someone says, hey, I'm praying for you, don't be dejected. Don't be upset and thinking, oh, well, they're praying for me. They must think something's wrong with me. Well, I'm fine. <laughs> right? No, go, hey, appreciate it. I do. I appreciate it. Right? We should be praying for one another. We need the prayers of the saints. We need prayers for one another. Prayer truly is, as we've talked about many times, is just the, the fuel uh, for the church. It's what propels us and keeps us going. It keeps us moving forward. Now, as we get to verse number three, we're going to be looking at this little section of the book today on remembering. He says, first of all, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Now, first of all, here we see, as, as uh, Morris writes, Paul gives thanks for the faith hope, and love manifest among the Thessalonians. Three qualities that are linked a number of times by early Christians. And then here I've got just a list of all these different ones. Uh, Romans 5, 2 through 5, 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, Colossians 1, Hebrews 6, uh, chapter 10, 1 Peter chapter 1. We see that um, these three together, this uh, faith, hope, and love, they all come together. We see them over and over and over again. Why is that? Well, clearly because they're important. Clearly because they are, it, it, to some degree, the sort of foundational principles of what it means to be a Christian and how to live that Christian life, but as well the foundations of the church. The, the church is built on these things. With, you take one away and, and you begin to, to miss out on so much. The three are not separate things, but rather, much like the Trinity, they are three yet one, they're three different things, but yet at the same time, very much one. They, they are always together, working together, where we find faith, we find hope, we find love, we find these things uh, together. Now, um, as we look at this today, we see that faith, hope, and love must always come in such an order. Think about this, and as we get into this today, we're going to see how faith is sort of the very 
foundation, right, if you will. Everything must be by faith. Salvation, by faith. Sanctification, by faith. One day we'll leave this world and, and be glorified by, the, by Christ. By faith. We're trusting in this. This is by faith. It is a total dependence, a total surrender, a total giving up of oneself going, Lord, I can't, you can. It is faith. It is a complete and total trust. It is understanding our helplessness and then now putting our trust in the fact that only God can do this. Now, faith then, if it is the foundation, then what is hope? Well, hope, we often hear hope has been talked about today. Today's world, we hear hope as well. I hope it happens, right? Uh, you might hear a farmer say, I hope it rains. Or you might hear a farmer say, I hope it doesn't rain. Uh, you hear a lot of hope as if it's wishful thinking. The Christian life is not about wishful thinking, right? As we've talked about, this is not a Disney story. We're not looking into wishing upon a star. This is not it, right? We're not hoping that things just fall into place. We're not hoping all that stuff and wishful, wishfully. No, rather, this is a confidence. This is an assurance. Well, how can you have confidence and assurance? Only because there's faith first. And so this builds on one another. Then we get to love. If I don't know, trust, and have confidence, have faith, have hope, then there will not be love. We often think that love has to come first, but really there has to be a trust in the Lord first. The moment that we trust in Christ, what happens? Well, we receive His love, and now we're able to love Him. We're now able to then have confidence in Him, and now we're able to express His love. Faith brings us hope, confidence, in the love of God, and then allows us to express the love of God. Now, ultimately, where do we find faith, hope, and love? We found them overflowed in Christ. We find them in the life of Christ. We find them in the preaching of Christ. We find them in the church of Christ. We find these in the person of Jesus. It's all about who He is. Right? He expressed what faith looked like. He expressed love and, and confidence, all these things, hope. And He gives these things to us. And now, Paul here, as he's writing, he says, I'm remembering without ceasing. So this is one of the things here that, as we've been talking about, he says, you know, I'm praying for you. I'm, thanking, I'm thankful to God for you. I always making mention of you in my prayers. And the reason why he does so is verse number three, first of all, right? The next little section is going to be, first, he remembers some things about them, and that causes him to be thankful to God. It causes him to pray. Notice that. When you remember some things about God, what should it cause you to do? To praise Him or to pray. When you remember some things, when you have things recalled to your mind, your memory, I often equate that many times when you're praying and something just pops into your brain, right, or, or a name or a situation, and you go, where'd that come from? Well, I better pray for it, right? These things that are brought to our mind, he goes, you're, you're continuously there. And I'm reminded of your work of faith and of uh, your labor of love and, and your uh, patience of hope and all this. Right? We see here, all of this comes together and he says, I remember these things about you and it causes me not to just praise you. That's not the idea, but rather to praise God for you for what God is doing in you. Especially, remember, if we understand this, this is a young church still. This is a young church that is not that well established. They haven't been around an incredibly long time, which means they haven't had the opportunity to make a ton of mistakes, but yet they've made plenty. And he's going to encourage them. He's going to help them. He's going to deal with some issues and things. And the first thing he does is in this thanking God, in this praying, he remembers these things about them. First of all, let's look at the work of faith. It is faith that produces work not work producing faith. This is something we've got to understand. Most of us in our Baptist churches, we accept that for salvation, right? We go, well, we can't be saved by works. The Bible tells us that. We're saved by grace through faith, right? It's faith that saves. 
we've got to understand as well that in the next part of that process in our Christian life, the very same truth remains. That our work now, God does not just leave us to go and work for Him without faith. No, rather it is faith that will produce it. You can fake work, right? You can fake good deeds. You can fake Christianity to a degree. You can fake in what we would call it, I'd call it churchianity, right? You can do all the right things that you know are good things to do. Without faith, it's nothing. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, this is why when we look about like Cain and Abel, right? It, it's, we often just focus most on the, the fruits and vegetables being offered and then the, the, the blood sacrifice being offered. Well, let's remember, the, the real root, certainly, that has a part in it, it's of faith. There is no pleasing God without faith. There is no working for God without faith, right? Now, let's put it this way. If you wanted to do a job for God, right? Let's take on Nehemiah, for example, right? We look at Nehemiah. He goes, I've got to get those walls built, right? We've got to get the walls built. We've got to get the city built back up. We've got to get the people restored. We've got to get revived. We've got to get all these things done. Plus, we've got enemies. We've got all this stuff to do. We've got to get the funds. I mean, he had a job, right? But could it happen on his own? No, of course not. Well, what did he have to do? There has to be faith. How about for David and Goliath? Did David go, you know, I, I'm clearly the strongest soldier here. No, he, he was a runt. And he's, and he's facing a literal giant. Matter of fact, he can't even bear the armor that, that, you know, that the king gives him. He's like, it's too big, but he, I've proved it. It's not mine, and I'm going out there. And what does he do? Does he put faith in his sling? No. He puts faith in the God who he's slinging for. That's the key. Faith makes all the difference in our work. And here's what happens. When we work for the Lord by faith, it ceases to be so much work. It's much harder to work for the Lord when we do so in our flesh. It's much harder to do work for the Lord when we're trying to do it on our own. But when we trust the Lord, when we put faith in it, and we trust that God's going to bless that work, right? would you, grow, would you work on your garden if you thought that nothing's going to grow from it? No, of course not, right? Hey, Perry's, Perry's honest. The rest of you is liars. <laughs> of course we wouldn't. Right? Do you, hey, I'll put it this way, right? If we can be honest, do you think that I would come up here every week if I didn't think that God could do something with it? No. No, I'm going to go sell ice cream or, or start a food truck or something. I, I don't need, I'm going to do something fun. But guess what? I trust that God's going to bless. And what does He do? He blesses. He does so in His time and His way. And so if we expect work to be done, accomplished, if we, work, if we expect work to produce fruit, well, it begins by faith. Not faith in our work either. No, no, no. Faith in God's work through our work. Now, our work is just a sacrifice. Our work, as we've talked about, we'll talk about it later, is to die to ourselves, to trust Him, and as He lives through us, then that's where we find that work ceases to be so hard and laborious, where church is no longer a job, but church is a joy, where evangelism is no longer fearful, but faithful, where giving is no longer grudgingly, but obediently and lovingly, right? It's all by faith. Green writes, although the object of their faith was God, the faith this faith was given active expression in their work. Paul states categorically that salvation by faith and not by human works, but he also interjects that faith has its fruit in good works. You can see that in Ephesians chapter 2. All those line up together. The apostle speaks in one place of 
every work of faith, 2 Thessalonians 1.11, and in another, faith that works through love, Galatians 5.6. So what we find is that where you find real work for the Lord, there will be real faith in the Lord. Now, there's something else that you will find on the opposite side of that. You can find church work without faith, and all it is is church work. And we get real guilty of that. Pastors get real guilty of that. We have to understand this. We must have faith first. Faith, real faith, produces works. Real faith does not produce busyness. Real faith produces real work, real fruit. We've got to understand the difference. In this, we see that faith in the Word and work of God is what produces the Word and work of God in our lives. The more I trust God's Word, you know what will naturally happen? The more I will obey God's Word, the more I will live God's Word, the more I can preach God's Word, the more I will understand God's Word. All these things, right? How about this? The more that I trust in the work of God, what He's already done in the past, what He's doing now, and what He'll do in the future, then what happens? Then in that, I find the work of God strengthening me in my life, finding work for me to do in my hands. He's now producing this fruit, producing this faith to allow me to then serve Him and to do the Word and the work that we're called to do. Faith without works is dead. But work without faith is just as dead and unfruitful. We've got to see that. right? Now this is a reminder that all work in the Christian life, in church life, whatever part of your life, it must be a work produced by genuine faith. Now then he says this, then I remember your labor of love here. He says, without ceasing, I remembering your, uh, without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. You see, when we build up on the work of faith part, if it's a work of faith, meaning everything that we do as a work is driven by faith, rooted in faith, then what is it now? Well, now it becomes not a work of faith, fruitlessness or a work of the flesh or a work of even churchianity or busyness, but now it becomes what? A labor of love. They say if you get a job that you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Anybody ever heard that, right? Were they lying? I don't know. <laughs> no? No, you think about this. We get real frustrated at things that we do that we don't have love for, right? You ever notice that? But if you really love something, you have a passion for it, you have faith in it, then though you might work, though it might be difficult, though it might be strenuous, though it might make you sweat, though it might make you crazy, yet it can be called what? A labor of love. You often hear artists or you hear of different people who are woodworkers, different, different sorts of things that have hobbies and stuff, and you go, man, I don't have the pace for that. I think about that with uh, people who do puzzles, right? Right? I, I, I don't do puzzles. I, I had, um, when I worked at a bank, our, our manager and then as well our teller manager, they, they kept a puzzle. Like a, when I say a puzzle, not like the four-piece, six-piece puzzles like we do. You know, I, I can maybe handle that in, in an afternoon. <laughs> but they had the, like the thousand-plus pieces. They'd have it on a back break room table. And they would, they would get at least one or two of those done like in a week or two, right? Like it was nothing. They'd go back, piece here, piece there, and... Uh, and then when I'd go on my lunch break, if they weren't in there, I'd take a piece away. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
Right? But you know what they, they always said? And I said, how can you do that? And they said, well, it's just it's the labor of love. We just, it, it keeps my mind engaged. It keeps me going. But we need to understand this. Look, Guzik writes, and I believe rightly, he says, their love produced labor. There are two different ancient Greek words for work, ergon and kapos. Ergon may be pleasant and stimulating, but kapos implies toil that is strenuous and sweat-producing. Here, we see that there is clearly a spirit of self-denial, self-sacrifice for the benefit of others, which is truly what real love is, and especially what Christian love should look like. Now here he says, I remember your labor of love. This is a work of love. Where must love be directed first? It must be directed vertically before it is horizontally. We cannot love the church of God unless we first love Christ. We will never be right with the church. We will never be committed to church unless we are right and committed to Christ. We often have it so backwards. But don't get me wrong. I don't want you to think that I think church is some sort of... I, mean, I think church should be more important to people, to be honest with you. That's the goal. But why should church be more important? Because of church or because of Christ? Because of Christ. Church is important because Christ is preeminent. Church is important and matters because Christ is the most important thing. And Jesus built His church, founded His church, loved His church, died for His church, is building His church, has bought His church. Right? He cares about the church. So therefore, we should do the same. Church should be a labor of love. Evangelizing in our daily life should be a labor of love. How about Bible reading? Should it be, let me see if I can get through my five chapters this morning, call it a day, right? And I can say, okay, got that done, on to the next day. No, it should be a labor of love where it takes some work, it takes some sweat, it takes some grit. Living the Christian life, there's constant battles. We often think that it should, should be easier than what it is. Now, it's easy when we get out of our way, right, and we get in the Spirit. Nevertheless, here's what happens. We, we hear... Throughout the year, maybe a few sermons on spiritual warfare and things. And then the other parts of that year, you know what we do? We forget that it's war. You know what Bible reading daily is? War. You know what your prayer life is? War. You know what getting to church is? War. The moment you woke up this morning, war was taking place to try to keep you from here or to get you here in the wrong spirit. How about this? The moment you woke up this morning, there was a war at stake to get you. While the devil might not be able to take your salvation, he can certainly steal your joy, get you distracted. He can certainly keep you from reading your Bible, or he can get you to read your Bible without the Spirit, to get your Bible just for the sake of reading your Bible, to get through it, and you'll miss everything. He's perfectly fine with that. To keep you from prayer, to keep you from witnessing, to keep you from living a holy life, that is what we have to understand. There's a war taking place. Real faith will produce real love. And real love shows that it is a, a labor of love. That we should love what we do for the Lord. Not because we love to say what we did for the Lord, but because we love the Lord. We should love what the Lord does and who He is far more than what we say we do for the Lord or what we can do for the Lord. Because even in those things, when the Lord allows us to have a work of faith and some labor of love in our life, well, what's really going to happen to those things? If it's a real work of faith and it's a real labor of love, then we will give all glory to God. We won't take an ounce for ourselves. 
we'll go, wow, well, praise the Lord. That's good. Now, in this, we know this. When it comes to love, people will talk about the difference between loving and liking, right? You've you got to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't have to like them and all this stuff, right? We can fake a lot of love. We can say, hey, love you, right? And, and not mean it a whole lot. Because we'll just use words. Words have meaning. And when we think about the church, to some degree, if we were to understand this, the church is built on love, isn't it? Not just love for one another, but let's go further. The very foundation of God's church is God's love for His people. So if we were to understand the depths, the heights, which we can't fathom in our human brains, but we should certainly try and wrestle with it. Why? Because the more I wrestle with the love of God for me, the more that causes me to love Him. The more I'm caused to love Him, well, the more I'm naturally caused to love the people that He loves. I've been finding myself praying lately, and, and I'm so thankful for it. The Lord has turned my attention to this of going, praying for folks and interceding for people and praying for the church and praying for service, all these things, to just give all of it to the Lord and go, well, Lord, you, you love them more than I do anyway. So God, I might pray, Lord, I want revival. Lord, I'd love to see this. I'd love to see that. Right? We'd love to have these things happen. But Lord, ultimately, you love and want that more than I do. So I can give that to you. God loves you far more than I can. God loves your spouse more than you do. God loves you more than you do, and you love yourself a whole lot, and I love myself a whole lot. Yet God loves us more. Now, what is the cross? The cross is a work of faith. The faithfulness of God to die for sinners. What else is it? It's a labor of love. So what should our life look like? A work of faith. Faithfulness to God. Faith in God. Faith for God. Faith of God. But it should also be then a labor of love. Morris writes, When this love comes to us, we are faced with a challenge we cannot ignore. Once we see that God is like that, that God loves as part of His very nature. It's who He is. Love is not just something that God does. And by the way, His attributes are not just things that He does. It is who He is, right? Like some, if you were to describe someone and you were to say, well, they're nice, they're hardworking, and they're kind. Well, some of that might be a little bit about who they are, but it's mostly just ex expressions of things that they do because are we as human beings always kind and hardworking? And I was like, no, we'd like to be. But everything that God does, it's because it's who He is. And He's never one thing more than the other. He is who He is. And He does everything out of who He is. Now, look at this. He goes on, He says, Once we see that God is like that, and that God loves as a part of His very nature, that God loves in a way that means Calvary, we must make a decision. Either we yield to the divine agape, which is love, it is sacrificial love, to be transformed by it, to be remade in the divine image, to see people in a measure as God sees them, or we do not. And if we do not, in that lies our condemnation. We have shut ourselves up to lovelessness. But those who yield themselves to God are transformed by the power of the divine agape, the divine love, so that they rejoice to give themselves in the service of others. Paul thanks God that this is what the Thessalonians have done. 
Love is a laborious work from within to without. There must be a love for God before we'll express love for our neighbors. Before we can love our neighbor as ourself, we must love the Lord our God. Before we can love our community, before we can even love our church, and we should love both, we must love Christ. And you will never have a real love for Christ if you do not have a real faith in Christ. The more we see our dependency upon Christ for all things, physical and spiritual, the more we love Him because we see His great provision in our life. How faithful and good and kind He's been to us and patient. Oh my! Then, what do we have? Then we have real work of faith. Then we have a labor of love. And now we're able to express that. And here's what He says. And now we have patience of hope. Patience of hope. Most of us today, if we're real honest, have little patience and we have little hope. Both of these work together, but yet both of these come from the Lord. They are built upon that work of faith which produces a labor of love. And now here's what we've got. Now the patience and hope. Patience of hope in what? In church? No. In our pastor? No. In our favorite author? No. In one another? No, not even there. How about in ourselves? No. In our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because He changes not. He is faithful. There is nothing that makes God go, you know I'm going to be different today. You and I, we're as different as the wind blows. We are constantly changing, constantly, sometimes for the worse. And it's not just through seasons of life, but we'll wake up in the morning, we'll be so full of the Spirit, full of joy, and then by 10 o'clock, we're back down here. Right? We're constantly up and down running these things. Praise the Lord that one day the day is coming where we won't have to fight, fight that battle anymore. And by the way, that's what that is. It is a battle. The battle is only won by the cross. We must go there continuously. All day, every day. End this. We see this patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? This is the first mention. Now, while not directly, we have to understand this is the first mention that Paul is emphasizing here, the coming of Christ. We have patience of hope, meaning of confidence. Has Jesus come once, y'all? Yes, all right. Has Jesus, is Jesus going to come again? Oh, there they are. <laughs> all right. Jesus is coming again, isn't he? Absolutely. Let me ask you again, is Jesus coming again? Are you confident? Are you sure? Are you positive? Are you sure you're positive? Are you positive you're sure? Yeah, it's frustrating. My dad used to do that when I was a little kid, right? Are you sure? Absolutely. And you know why? Why are you so sure and why are you so positive and why are you so sure that you're positive and why are you so positive that you're sure? This Bible, God's Word has told me, and through the Word of God, the work of God has been applied to my heart that now I have faith and love and a hope, a confidence that what He has said and what He has done is true and faithful. That what God has said will come to pass will come to pass. That's why we should be confident. That's our only confidence. That's our only hope if we think about it. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our salvation, our sanctification, our glorification, all of our life from start to end is by 
a hope and a confidence that what God has said and spoken is true and that what God has done is sufficient. God's promise, His Word, God's provision, His work. You must trust in that. Sorensen writes, The word translated as patience, among other things, has the sense of perseverance. Implied is that though there was opposition at Thessalonica, these young believers had persevered because of their hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They faced obstacles that you and I don't quite face right now. There's other parts of the world right now that are facing these things, and, and don't be surprised if we have to face them one day either. As a matter of fact, we should be surprised if we don't face them. It was the same Paul who wrote to, to Timothy that all who will live godly will suffer persecution. Now in this, what we find though, is that when persecution comes, or how about this, take away even no persecution, right? No persecution. And just the storms, and the trials, the tribulations of life, the ups and the downs, the highs, the lows, and everything's in between. What must we do? Have patience and hope. Well, what is patience? Here, if we, I, I understand this idea, it is that it is a perseverance. That I will keep trusting, I will keep waiting, and being confident that Christ has come and that Christ will come again. And the very fact, now know this, this is not the get-out-of-jail-free card where because Jesus is coming in that we won't have to face hard times. We will. And there's more hard times to come, I believe. But that does not mean we'll go through the Great Tribulation. Praise God for that. Will we go through Great Tribulations? Oh, yeah. But will we go through the Great Tribulation? No, praise God. And I, I firmly believe that. And we're going to see that all throughout Thessalonians here. But nevertheless, what should get us through a day? It can't be the fact that well, tomorrow's another day, I'll just start over. No, no. It should be, Christ has accomplished this. And Christ is going to accomplish this. And I will trust in that. As Jesus persevered the cross, as Jesus persevered trials and afflictions and temptation and, and constant battle, should His church persevere? Absolutely. And He's giving us all that we need to do so. Wanamaker writes, Therefore, from Paul's perspective, it was their firmly fixed hope in Jesus Christ that gave them strength to persevere in their new Christian beliefs and behavior in spite of considerable adversity from their non-Christian fellow citizens. We see a young church here who was full of perseverance. Sometimes here's what happens, and we've got to be careful. The longer we trust the Lord, the less we want to persevere. You ever hear it's not how you start, it's how you finish? Well, here Thessalonians, they've started pretty good. But you know, we don't just want to start good, we want to finish good. And in order to finish it, we've got to continue to persevere. Not persevere by our strength, not persevere through our work, but persevere through His strength and through the work that He's done and the work that He's going to do that Jesus has come and that He's coming again. Green writes, The Christian's hope was bound up with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, an event that is mentioned frequently in these letters. The hope they held was not some vague expectation about a better future, but rather solid confidence rooted in the expectation of Christ's coming. This was the strong foundation that gave the Thessalonians the power to endure and persevere in the face of tremendous hostility leveled against them. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves the worst thing that could happen to me is that I would die and go to heaven. Some things, the things that we have to tell ourselves is that the worst thing that could happen to me is that the clouds 